askgunquestions.com is a website that we built back in 2007. And since then, for the last 15 years, people have been able to ask questions of simple to advanced nature, and we attempt to answer them in different ways over the years. Join us now as we start a new series to answer gun questions. Hey, welcome everybody to our Saturday series on answering gun questions that people ask. Is that the way to say it? And we've got uh, our friends uh, Tony jumping in from New Jersey. Thanks for joining. I think he's breaking up, but he said, hey, I think. And then we got Clover jumping in from Texas. Thanks for joining. Okay, appreciate you. Bye. So we've got um, every week we go live. Let's see. Oh, I got you. Uh, every week we go live and answer questions that have come in to askgunquestions.com. Additionally, any questions that come in while we're live, we stream the show and have an audience here. So anybody that might ask questions while we're live, uh, we try to answer those as well or at least address them. Uh, however, tonight or today, it is episode 22 or the 22nd in the series. So I thought we'd focus on the 22 long rifle. I'm a big fan of the ammo of a bunch of the guns. I know Clover's a big fan. Tony, I don't know if we've mentioned it or not before, what your opinions are on it, but unless you guys uh, would rather dig into some of these that have come in over the last week uh, that were not necessarily on 22, but none of them are really urgent, uh, I'm thinking let's drop those to a future show, chat about 22, and then, uh, of course, well, Clover got back from travel, and Tony would have gotten back from traveling, so we can do like an after action on some of the uh, happening adventures. Yeah, I, I guess that would have been a question. Go ahead. Oh, I'm. I'm, I'm well, question. Uh, let's cause a lot of fun. Am I not coming through? I don't know. I have bad internet, so I'm really bad at judging if it's my end or somebody else's end, so you can be the judge. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you come through, you're fine, but uh, that's typical, like, remote stuff. All right, yeah, because I'm on the way home, so I'll be there in the next, you know, 20 minutes, so if it's too much, uh, I'll bang out and come back. No, just start talking, because once you start talking, the signal's clear. I think it's just the lag and us not wanting to interrupt each other. Go ahead, though. Uh, yeah, I really enjoy 22s. Um, as a kid, loved firing my uncle's guns, because that's what he allowed me to shoot. Uh, all of us kids to do it, because ammo was really, really, really cheap. 22 ammo was cheap in the 70s, definitely. Um, and it's inexpensive today. And again, it's all the good about shooting a firearm without any of the bad, no recoil, no concussion, and it doesn't kill your wallet. So it's, it's a lot of fun. That's an interesting point to start off with then. So appreciate the insight. And then, Clover, do you want to try to do a summary of your, uh, what, like, relationship with 22? Well, I can. I mean, it's, it's you know, like Tony, it's longstanding and from a, a lot of different angles from, you know, introduction to firearms to youth shooting sports to whatever. I would add to the lot of fun uh, and, you know, being cost effective, I would also add uh, and argue that 22 Long Rifle, for example, is the most, you know, 
given parameters, I mean, obviously, are there are parameters out there, uh, the most accurate cartridge in the world. Um, has been for a very long time, still is today. Uh, many reasons it was used for gallery guns and things like that uh, of the past. Um, you know, cost, obviously, a factor in noise, and there's a lot of other factors that go in, but but inherent accuracy of the cartridge. It, it's When you talk about a rimfire cartridge, you talk about uh, the way that 22, if you know anything about, you know, ammunition, how the projectile is seated into the, the cartridge. Um, you know, when you're dealing with a rimmed case, uh, rim thickness has an effect on the headspace, which has an effect on the act. We can get really, really nerdy with 22 long rifle if we want to, but I would argue uh, one of, if not the most accurate cartridge within normal parameters uh, in the world, which is also a plus. I mean, if you're going to get out there and have fun, you want to actually hit those cans or hit that steel or hit that target or whatever it might be. Right on. So sorry, I wait for a second. The um, we got questions coming in, and I'm gonna say let's just go for 22 show completely. I, I tried to handpick some 22 questions out of the list from past questions. There's like 700 questions in there. There's really not that many for 22 specifically, and the couple that were in there we actually addressed in earlier shows, uh, just kind of randomly. It's kind of weird, right. but um, like I say, I just stepped away. So Clover, you just got done talking about. Uh, your kind of, I must say, relationship, because we've all been aware of 22 our whole lives. Pretty much everybody starts on it. And then now I'm doing it quickly, I guess. You know, I'd started on a 22 also. I think, I don't know if you guys mentioned it specifically, but for a while there, I hated 22, right? You get old enough and you think, oh, that's a baby caliber. I don't want that. I'm not, you know, plinking or I'm not whatever. I want a real caliber. And then... Oh, well, you know, I mean, it kind of depends on everybody's travel. I can I guess. see it. I can see it. But you got to realize I got more into the competition world, which got into, you know, this thing of like, maybe you're like, oh, man, I can drive. Really, I can handle a car and drive really fast. That's great. Now, let's get you in a pack with, you know, to, to quote a line from Days of Thunder, I think. Right. It's like, let's get you in a pack with a bunch of other people and say you do. Right. So it's like. Yeah, I mean, I get, but I always push myself. Like the yellow twine that you use for bailing hay, being in a rural area, we got access to tons and tons of that. Big balls of it will fall off the back of trucks around here and all kinds of stuff. I would literally string that between tree trunks and at, you know, 50 yards or so shoot twine with my Marlin Model 60. So I was always pushing the envelope uh, and always had that, you know, I realized the inherent accuracy and I realized a lot of those things even before I got into coaching and instructing in the competition world. Uh, and then once you get into that, especially, it just renews your, I don't know, what your, your spirit or whatever with it. So I never was, yes, I do love the, the larger calibers. I have 4570 is one of my favorite, for example, and things like that. But, um, you know, I never, I never fell out of love, so to speak, with the 22 long rifle. I just no, it's always cool. found other ways to push that envelope. I could totally see that. And now they mentioned that. Like for me, it was uh, the 22 is like I say, the introduction. That's what kids shoot. You shoot BB guns, you shoot 22 with the, you know, awareness that you're moving on to all the rest of the stuff that's out there. Um, so whenever, and then I think the big difference as you were describing that too, is when I was a kid, we were into, I was really into guns and stuff and we went shooting quite a bit, but on the weekends at a range. So it was, gather up a bunch of stuff and do whatever. I can't reload 22. I could reload 38 over and over and over again. So for me, when I was just going plinking, if I had to grab a bunch of stuff, you know, I'm shooting 38 because now I've got that extra um, level of 
something going on where, you know, I'm not just going to the store and buying 22. To me, buying 22 at the store was like buying BBs. I knew I was buying something that just went out the gun and I wasn't collecting any of it and putting it back together, which I could do with the 38s, you know. So, or, and that's pretty much what I would shoot as I would consider like my Plinkin caliber, right? 38s back in the day out of revolvers and stuff. But uh, no, that makes a good point. If you could just go out the backyard or if you were out actually getting rid of mice or rats or something in a situation where you needed to, if you have to use 22. You're not going to spend nine millimeter. Well, there was no nine millimeter back in the day, but you're not going to shoot 38 money or centerfire money on getting rid of vermin and stuff. And in those cases, like it would be a whole different situation. So for me, it was, I kind of left it for a bit. And I guess I was just going to say, I came back to it once I started collecting. Once I got past, I've never been, people that go, oh, you're fascinated with guns? Like, no, I just like them like I like knives or like I like my computers. Like they're a super interesting tool. And, you know, you can get a, a knife that's for the kitchen. You can get a knife that's for uh, doing something outside, you know, like a tool or something. And those knives are different. They're made different and just once you get into collecting and, you know, for the, once you get into the laws, some of these guns that exist that the law, you know, either the law went around or the law never touched them and they're just interesting specimens or maybe something like that semi-automatic revolver that's just a weird specimen in between places. When you get into that kind of collecting, the 22 comes right back into, what do you call it, like the, the main stage, you know, the, the forefront because it was the first cartridge. So right away, there's some history there. And it's such a little cartridge that a lot of things are able to be done with 22 that can't be done on some of the other. So some of those unique and interesting guns, when you get into like the poker player guns and stuff, a lot of those are interesting little 22s. And it wasn't until the ban on low uh, caliber, easy to produce small guns in 1968 that people started to escalate uh, calibers into larger and larger calibers because the federal law demanded it. But back in the day, 22s and uh rim fires of different sizes were plenty because they were a deterrent right you'd put them on the table and it would show the other person that you meant business like baring your teeth you didn't have to bite so much as bared your teeth i don't know if it was a different world or what but you know that when you get into those kind of guns and that kind of history 22 is right there all the time yep all right well so then I don't know. So anybody else want to take it anywhere right off the bat before we start hitting a couple of questions? And feel free if you're listening live, drop some questions in here. I say let's dive in. Uh, let's see. So is the first one Smeggy's just asking uh, what's the farthest you can shoot a 22 accurately? Looks like. Uh, they say a mile back in the hunter safety days, right? Like be careful Man, where you're shooting. That's... They hit a mile. Accurately, though, is going to be the key yeah. to that. It's like, ooh, that'd be tough. Well, I yeah, used to know just, people. It, Go ahead. It depends on a lot of things. Um, yeah, that mile is it's deadly out to a mile. At least that's what the side of the box used to say. Um, it depends on the ammo. It depends on the rifle. It depends on the person behind you. Um, you know, you're, you're a beat up, break barrel. Whatever, uh, HR uh, might have been accurate out to one level, but like my CZ Ultra uh, is uh, really, really, really accurate, and I've been shooting it out to 200. And it's like it just depends on everything, but it's a very accurate cartridge, like Clover said, and really it's only affected by the wind because uh, it's so small. 
usually they're between what, 30 and 40 grains, stuff you'll use for targets from like TV and right. things like that. <clears throat> so it's a lightweight brown and it's not going that fast. So pretty much it's just uh, the wind that will affect it and break through the sound barrier, but that's something totally different. Yeah, but the something to keep in mind is that not moving that fast actually helps with wind. Um, when you talk about something like a 17 HMR or even a 22 Magnum, wind tends to affect those a little bit more drastically than a 22 Long Rifle. Same, it's, it's sort of the same principle when you start talking about 45 ACP, right? Versus some of the other rounds, like let's say nine millimeter, because that's an easy comparison to make. Um, you know, you just it's it's slower moving, and then obviously the 20 a 22 projectile most of the time is going to be heavier than that 17 projectile too so it's heavier it's slower uh tends to buck that wind a little more um to be you know to answer smeggy's question directly from, you know from my experience um i've seen some competitions and some things like that where you know 300 yards is is given tony's deal of, of at least steady wind conditions right if you've got multi-changing winds and stuff like that it gets crazy um but i've seen um competitions where you know you could shoot 300 yards on like a one foot square piece of steel or something of that nature. Um, pretty, pretty well. Um, the, what you get into with trying to go out, you'll past maybe 150 or so, certainly 200 is you've got about a three foot holdover at 200 and you got like an eight foot or something at, uh, at 300. So, um, you know, if you're running optics, um, you know, if you're just trying to gauge it on irons, you know, optics, first of all, is having that type of adjustment to start with. Uh, with irons, I mean, you get into a situation to where you're you're almost shooting blind. You're just kind of shooting by feel type scenario. Um, and then the, the other thing I would say when you're shooting any kind of distance with, with 22 is every little thing. This is the level of difficulty that a lot of people don't realize is that. Um, yes, I mean, we start on it, we, we see it as the baby caliber, we see it as, as rudimentary and, and, and virtually harmless and in every way, it's just so easy and so fun. But the level of difficulty when you want to achieve uh, precision um, is, is actually pretty high because little movements like your pulse, right, make like a huge difference. I mean, just your pulse and, and holding the rifle and how you're holding that rifle. And you'll notice that a lot of competitive shooters, they, they contort and twist their arms in weird ways when they're shooting offhand and a lot of this other stuff. And, and there's a reason for that. And not only is it steadiness, but it's also to lay that rifle stock in a manner um, that mitigates you know, where your pulse is at, right? You're not laying on a huge vein or a huge artery or whatever the case may be. Uh, breathing comes into play. There's just so many things. And that's amplified many, many times fold as, as you start pushing out the distance. Um, the, the most common that I see um, is about 110 meters. Now, you tell me how many yards that is because I'm not going to do the math. But, um, you know, the most common, I would say, longer distance that I see uh, primarily was, you know, 50 foot and 25 yards. That's what I've seen in competition with precision. But we shot a lot of um, silhouette matches and it pushed out as far as 110 meters um, and dead on super accurate with the right rifle, the right ammunition combination and other things at, at that distance. So, um, yeah, once you get your, your, your 
uh, what is the uh, what is the word? Your what you get your your variables, your factors dialed in. Um, yeah, you can go. I think you can go three hundred yards uh, would be somewhere around max in my mind. Oh yeah, I did the math in 110 meters is 7,000 miles. No, 110, 110 meters? No. Come on now, that's that's some of that anti that's some of that anti gunner math, Tony's using. Uh, 110 meters is 7,000 miles. We're coming with that. Then and a nine millimeter will blow out a lung. Yeah, okay, we got you. <laughs> As you were describing that, um, you know, there's people that shoot uh, steel with 22s uh, because you can shoot them close, I guess. And they, there's uh, speed matches with 22s. You think of your, your trees, your dueling trees and stuff like that. And then there must be people that shoot 22. I know there's a lot of people that shoot for accuracy, but there must be people that shoot for distance and accuracy. I just don't know of it because usually it's different calibers for distance, but there must be Actually, there's 22 precision matches, too, uh, to take uh, advantage of the fact that there aren't a lot of long-range ranges, especially on the East Coast. So what they do is do 22 precision. So you still have all the money you put in precision shooting, but you use a 22 ammo. But you can do it on three-yard yep. ranges. So that opens up a lot more opportunity for competitors. And what would just call precision? Like it's okay. it's different than target because target would be more like iron sights and what you might just take out to the field or take out hunting. Where precision is more like marksmanship with a maybe more delicate or more heavy or more like use use less useful for other purposes for practical purposes, but more useful for long distance accuracy, like a race gun, like a Formula One type of vehicle of guns. Yeah, I think precision. Well, the good thing about it is it allows you to get in, but precision is more expensive when you get into really being competitive. But at least it opens the door to you. You know, you can show up with your 1022 and realize you're about to get stunk. But you can spend like about $200 to get a chassis system. And now your 1022 will do better at the precision. And then you determine whether you want to still play in that game or not. And the sky's the limit to the money you'll pay for precision points and rifles. I think precision is is just that. I mean, take the root of the word, precise, right? Um, and where some people get it mixed up is they're thinking precise in the terms of putting the bullet in the same hole. And that's certainly the case in a lot of stuff because if you're talking about, you know, 50-foot, 25-yard precision, yeah, I mean, you're you, you've got to everything's got to be dead on. It is precise. Matches are won and lost within a thousandth of an inch, uh, on you know, on a K hundredth of an inch for sure. Like like um, you're saying with the pulse, like you got to be worried right. because if you just make an oval instead of a circle, that's yeah. a loss. Yeah. yeah, and I think that, and I think that when you when you talk about precision, people go to the the shots on paper, right? The point of impacts, and they think precision. And I think it's more in the way the overall feel of that match right you have to be precise in everything you do from your breathing to your form to your i mean you know, everything has to be precise right and in order for you to to place in that match to 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 do well right there's like no room for error that's the key is being precise 
whatever the distance might be, whatever the targets might be, you know, that sort of thing. And this, I, I, I hear precision matches, and I'm trying to think, is there a difference between that and, like, marksman? Or what would be, like, back in the day, like, well, there's, like, sniper, and that implies adding tactical to it, like adding some amount of, you're not going to find me when I take this shot. So right. that makes sense. And then you've got your, you know, obviously your Olympic stuff or sports where, you know, they have some other layer of it. I'm just wondering, precision to me makes it sound like a Formula One car where it's kind of a one trick pony. You're not taking that gun hunting. You're not going to take it elk hunting because it's going to be too heavy or too fragile or something too expensive. You know, it's just a super fast or not fast, but a super no. technical gun or as opposed to, you know, like your scout rifle or your, you know, your just typical iron sight match where you're, you know, you take that gun, like I say, out in the field and use it as a defense gun or a hunting gun. Right. Well, you know, I have, I've certainly used my fair share of what I would call my, my precision, my more accurate, my nicer, you know, competition rifles and stuff in 22. Uh, and I've had students that have done it as well. Um, for squirrel hunting and things like that. I mean, why not? Why, you know, why not? I've got one by the door now. Uh, as a matter of fact, that my daughter shot in many, many, many 50-foot rimfire precision competitions. Why do I got that? Well, it's by the door for, for varmints and things like that that I need to dispatch. And I know that out to 50, 50 yards, I know that it's it's a headshot every single time. Clean, quick, easy. Uh, nothing to it i mean if i can hit a, an inch and five eighths target not not with rings inside that inch and five eighths circle mind you that's not the bullseye but if i can hit that i can certainly hit the head on whatever little varmint or whatever it might be right one shot it's easy i don't got to worry about missing i don't got to worry about or, or i do in a way if i don't do my part right <laughs> but i know that I know that with my training and capability and everything I've done with that rifle, right? I know that my odds of, you know, being able to accomplish that task cleanly, quickly, and easily uh, are greatly exaggerated. And so, um, yeah, I mean, to say that that you can't do it is is I think wrong. No, I, think I guess the, I think for the cost. I think it's for the cost involved, right? I mean, if you've got thousands of dollars in your precision competition setup, are you going to want to lug that thing out in the woods and, you know, scratch it up and everything else? Because let's be honest, when you go to do competition things, you want shiny, good-looking, cool, different equipment, whatever, because that's all part of the mental game in competition, right? Uh, like the person that, that shows up with the hot rod pool cue or the hot rod car or the whatever, there's an intimidation factor in the visuals sometimes. So if you show up with something all, all, you know, beat up or something like that, um, you don't have that intimidation factor. So there, there's, yeah. I, I took it on a tangent there, but thanks. Uh, let's go to Weston is asking favorite tw 22 long rifle factory load. I like a 40 round, uh, 40 grain. Um, you know, that's tough to say, right? Because there's really not such as a load per se, but, um, I like somewhere in the neighborhood of a 40 grain lead round nose, well lubed. Um, in the, honestly, and I'm going to say the, it depends on what for, right? It's like for hunting, I want the, the velocity be, to be up a little more. 
Um, still not a big fan of any hollow point or ballistic tip stuff in a 22. I'm just not uh, 22 long rifle, I should say. Um, but you know, I would want it to be for let's say hunting use. Uh, probably still go 40 grain, but I wouldn't want the velocity up a little bit. Probably going in the 1300 feet a second range. Uh, something truly supersonic. You got to realize you've got subsonic, uh, supersonic, hypersonic. What is the, the rankings? I can't even remember now, but there's several anyway. You can get 22 long rifle up into the 1700 feet a second, which is insane. Um, but I would say that supersonic range, eh, let's go with 1300 feet a second. If I'm shooting competition or something like that, even if we're talking silhouette out to like 110 meters, like we were talking about earlier, um, I go with the subsonic, I go with subsonic match stuff. Typically again, in like a 40 grain, uh, like that uh, lead nose, a lot of them are wax coated or have some type of blue coating when you're talking about the match grade ammunition on that lead. Um, I, I tend to go that, um. Now, if we're out in the backyard plinking around steel or doing whatever, you know, even still challenge matches and stuff like that, accuracy is not nearly as important at that at that point, right? And so, you know, basically whatever, whatever runs the firearm well, if it's semi-auto, whatever's moderately accurate. I mean, you're talking about being able to hit a 10-inch piece of steel at 25 yards. I mean, that's not difficult. It gets a little more difficult the faster you try to run it and in the example of steel challenge, uh, but still not terribly difficult. So I got, um, I will give some examples. Ely black box match specifically uh, is, has been my go-to for many, many years on the precision competition side, which is a subsonic. Um, if you're talking about steel challenge, some of the speed matches and honestly an all around um, ammo for a lot of, a lot of different uses, including just having fun is that federal auto match ammunition. Big fan, been a big fan of that for, for many years. When you get into the hunting side of auto things, match. Yeah. The federal auto match. Yeah. What does uh, that look like? I don't know if I have It's that. just a lead nose. I believe it's a 40, I believe it's a 40 grain. Uh, what's, nose. The, what's the yeah. box look like? Oh, it's white. It's going to be a white <laughs> box typically with some black and I think red in it or something. Um, but, um, and it's a it's a bigger box. They come in. They only come, to my knowledge, in three hundred twenty-five round bricks. Oh, um, okay. I don't buy a lot like that. Yeah. And then um, for uh, the Winchester Super X, and Winchester makes a few different variants in the red kind of clear boxes. So for my hunting, I'll typically go with that. It's a little higher velocity. Um, and you got to be careful because there's hollow points and there's some that are some varying velocities. So the ones I get have a, I believe it's a bullseye and a squirrel on the box, on the clear cello looking, red cello looking box. And so if you want to get specific about some of the ones I really like. But then that said, I've got a large variety of all kinds of 22 ammunition. So uh, I've got the capability to, to switch up and do other things. I've just found those, I would say those three um, I've got the most of, and though, and it's because those three are kind of my go-to for most every 22 I've got. They just kind of work well across the board, and you'll find that's the case, especially when you're talking semi-auto. Um, you'll find, and, and and even semi-auto from pistol to handgun, a lot. I mean, uh, from from rifle to handgun, a lot of the 22 ammo, you, it'll run great in a 1022, and then you switch over to your whatever 1911, 22, or whatever it might be. And it's complete garbage. I mean, it just doesn't cycle well, right? Um, a lot of variation and a lot of different uh, 22 ammo. But good Lord, I, I, I couldn't even begin to 
guess at how many different brands and flavors and types and models of is currently available today out there on the shelves and in the market. It's absolutely insane. Um, when I did the uh, review on that Glock 44 when it came out a couple of years back or whatever, I know I went through like 42 different types of ammo and I didn't even scratch the surface of everything that was out there. One of the things I like to do when I go to gun shops or gun shows is go to the tables that have nothing but collector ammo and just be amazed at how much variety, like you say, and there's just tons. And then if you think about the stuff that's come and gone that doesn't exist anymore, somebody could have bought, and that's not realistic at all, to buy a thousand rounds of 22. That's not even hard, right? Yeah. Especially whatever, tons of circumstances. You're going to be in the competition. You hope your kid's going to be, you come across a good deal, whatever, right? You buy a thousand rounds. And then you go shoot 700 rounds of it and you think it's great. And then you tell everybody how great it is. And there's no chance of them buying that ammo because it's been out of production for 10 years, right? Like that yeah. situation will happen because yeah. it's possible to have a thousand rounds of 22 just sitting on a shelf. And you don't realize when you pick it up and start using it that no one's going to be able to just well, do that. And you, you bring up a good point in that you talk about the collectability market. You know, I got to wonder, and you probably know what I'm talking about, the Colt 22 ammo. I've got to wonder how many people have bought. And you I'm have talking Colt about, brand 22 ammo? Right. And I've got, wow, to wonder how many, I've got to wonder how many people in like the last 10 years have bought that at like a garage sale, a flea market, a gun show, uh, something, right? Not realizing how collectible that was and then took it home and shot it. And you're like, oh my God. It's hard for me to work at a gun shop. And the reason I could never work at a gun shop full time is because of that. <laughs> Every time I saw Chinese ammo, 7762 by 39 ammo, even before I really collected it, and I would see the steel core ammo going to be shot, and I know exactly where it's going, up the hill to be shot into the dirt up there. I was like, ugh, you know what I mean? Like, go buy garbage and keep yeah. that steel core for when we need it. Yeah. Well, yeah. the situation with the 22 yeah, is not what you need. You know, it's, so it's, it's a collectible, but yeah. Well, here you no, go. it's a collectible, but it's also a collectible with that particular situation it's a collectible in a spam can that they're going to bust open the you know the right. climate controlled spam can and shoot it into the hill when they could just buy a wolf for the same price almost uh, anyway um my answer would be gold dot i really like gold dot in everything but that would be you know high-end expensive ammo for carrying around the cci they they name it different things and i don't keep up i usually buy by price but cci for me has always been in these little boxes this kind of stuff is more expensive but these work like these are decent ammo for hunting or for yeah velocity an important that's a high velocity though yeah yep. velocitor is expensive I think but there's other ones I don't I wouldn't say every single one but I know velocitor was a good one for my little twenty twos my little twenty twos are finicky and half broken so they need a powerful ammo in this I don't know if it's the snappiest it's just reliably it strong is. Ammo. that that is for CCI uh, stinger is a, is a notch down from velocitors. So, oh, and that's what I was really looking for. I don't. Yeah. I figured this was less. So Stinger is what I was going to pick. I just don't yeah. have one. Stinger is actually a little less velocity. Wide. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I roll with the Federal just like, uh, what is it, the auto match? Uh, <clears throat> because oh, when yeah. you go by what favor do you have, I just have to look and see which one I have the most of. And it's definitely that 325 box round of Federal. I used to be able to pick those up for 20 bucks. And I would tell people, hey, buy a box a week and just – put it away and that's what I did uh, and then I started diversity shooting that really came through for me having you know that much 22 put aside 
and uh, also CCIs um, because I had different 22s. I have two different uh, 1022s and I have an SR22 uh, handgun from Ruger and it works in all of those. And also I, I had a lot of Agaila. Uh <laughs> They had weird names like Super Supreme Velocity. It, it was like one too many words in their Super Velocity stuff. It was like a Super Velocity Extreme. Anyway, um, I got that. It was over 17, almost 1,800 feet per second, uh, only because I wanted to make sure it worked. And I was able to get a lot of it once. And of course, CCI, um, velocitors and stingers, because I just never had a problem with it. My only issue ever came with the whole Remington Golden Bullet or whatever it was called. Those were the only times I had any issues with any of my firearms shooting 22. So people have gifted it to me because of the diversity shoot. And once I got rid of it, I just never used it again. Um, I wouldn't even take it to a diversity shoot because if I'm introducing someone to firearms, having hang fires um, was not something that I wanted, or does, is not something I wanted to introduce people to the first time they shot a gun. So I want to, I want to follow up on that, Tony, for a second. You mentioned the golden, since you mentioned the golden bullets, uh, because I, it never entered my mind to go down this road. Um, but so what what type of packaging um, do you have experience with the golden bullets in the 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 slide top boxes the bulk yep. the slide bulk, top boxes really the hundred round count the slide top hundred round count um, yeah because theirs is more in a square because CCI's is elongated yes, right correct hundred round yeah so uh, what happened is one of the ladies from one of the female shooting clubs she had some and she just gave it to me she said it wasn't working with her right um and she stopped using 22s to introduce women to firearms anyway and started using the nine i think i told you a story the other night so she was getting rid of her 22s <clears throat> and i took it to the range because i just wanted to check it out and i was having a lot of misfires and duds with yeah. her ammo and that was the only one i used so I didn't buy anymore. So, I mean, to be fair, I use hers. And there were just enough options out there that I never had to go there. I just didn't go there again. I didn't want to waste the money in yeah. case, you know, no, that you. was bad. Yeah. So so I kept, back in the day, we had some 1911 22s and then some little, some of those little SIG Mosquito 22s. We had several things in the club. And those Runington Golden Bullets in the – in the square box, like G. Webbs has there, um, those were the ones that uh, weren't the most accurate or anything like that for sure, but at least would cycle properly um, mm -hmm. as far as cost-wise. But I did, uh, and I got some very crappy old, old videos on the channel with it, but um, this was back in in kind of the, the tail end of those days, but um, I did some, some homework and some research. And I can verify unequivocally that the smaller the packaging of the Remington Golden Bullets, the better that ammunition actually is. Okay. The quality control, it's almost as if, and I don't know, obviously they've switched hands and everything else at this point anyway, so who knows. But it's almost as if they had a criteria, right? It went through a certain QC, and the ones that, passed it with flying colors went into this kind of a box the ones that and eh, maybe they're okay went into this kind of box and then the ones that were total garbage went into the bucket of bullets <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make sense um but that makes I, a lot I, of sense actually that makes yeah. a lot of sense. 
so uh, yeah, the, so the reason I picked the ones I have is because they were dependable, easy yeah. to get. Um, and after I picked up my CZ, uh, because it was set up as a training rifle and very, very accurate, that's when I started looking for target ammo just for 22s. And I started buying Ely. Right. And, and then I got more into other things came up, and I never really got to jump on that and take my time. Yeah. Um, I think it was right before COVID I was setting up so I could actually, because I like precision, precise, taking your time, breathing, target yeah. shooting. And I was going to work that and see how much different loads change my point of impact or my accuracy. Right. So I was definitely planning on having fun with that because, again, even rain, I mean, excuse me, target, like expensive target ammo for 22s isn't that expensive, really. Compared yeah. to Centerfire. Yeah, I mean, it's still, I mean, a, a box of the E-League Black Match, I'm talking about even nowadays with price increases and everything else, you know, is still right around 20 bucks a box of 50, right? So, I mean, mm -hmm. you're talking 9 millimeter price. Um, I was getting it for as cheap as I think maybe 13 or 14 back in the day, which was crazy, insane, expensive. Um, so, when you talk about Ely, um, you know, the cool thing about Ely they dominate as far as Olympic gold medals. So as there's almost yeah. no disputing that they're the king, right? If you want, if you want <laughs> precision. Um, but to, to a point G was making earlier and something that is definitely worth pointing out, whether we're talking about Remington gold bullets or anything else, pretty much every box of ammo I've ever seen, you can get online if it's not blatantly obvious and you can figure out how to, how to identify the lot number. And so here's something that I would suggest. If you find something that does really well for accuracy, for cycling, for all of these different things, um, you know, pick up a couple of boxes. If you're just, you know, if you're just plinking around or whatever, if it works well, make a note of that lot number, because these companies can make thousands and thousands of boxes of a lot number. And then when you're looking at stuff on the shelf, you may go, oh, snap, that's that lot number that did really, really well, right? Even though it might not be typically your choice of ammo, you know that that particular one, that particular lot number does well, right? And then you would buy everything on the shelf and, and put it up. And, and I did that for many, many years. I've got, I've got some lots in there that I may have, you know, I've got hundreds of boxes of, of one lot number, right? And so it's like, I know that the repeatability on that stuff, how it's, you know, how it's going to perform and everything else. And there's a lot of comfort in that. Yep. Very true. So I think we got Just, four. Uh, so the next one is, oh, wait, no, we had this one. Oh, wait, no, here we go. This is the next one. MC asks, Lifesaver 22 shoots were fun. No, not breaking the candy, shooting through the center. I was right. going to put that one up. It's more of a statement, but when you were talking about pulses and stuff, people go, pulse? What are you talking about? There's kids that can do that. Like little kids, I've seen, I used to be able to shoot shoelaces when I was a no superstar. I didn't practice all that much. I definitely seen kids that worry about stuff like, you know, making a tiny little oval instead of a perfect circular hole in the center of that thing against other kids that are the same way. Right. Oh, definitely. Well, I shot, if you remember the lawn chair pop here a while back, um, and I was shooting a, you know, a sure enough, you know, three, three position precision little rifle, but at 25 yards, I had those dumb, dumb suckers and I was able to cut 
you know, I didn't do it every single time, obviously, but I, it, I was totally capable of offhand, not like having the rifle rested or on any kind of a, uh, what am I thinking about? The rifle rest or anything. Uh, just, I was sitting down, but offhand, I was able to cut the, cut the uh, sucker stem or whatever with that. I mean, easily. So, you know, uh, assuming that everything is right, you know what I mean? Assuming that I'm uh, you know, my sight picture's correct, my, my holds are right, my breathing's right, my trigger pull's right. I mean, it's the rifle and the ammunition can do it. Yep. And that's that's another thing that you see a lot with twenty two is you know, it really I go back to that level of difficulty, right? It's like depending on what you want to do with it, the level of difficulty can be can be wild. It really can, and again, it's inexpensive fun. Like, you can do, <laughs> you can go out and do a top shot kind of craziness shoots with this and get pretty good at it because trigger time is trigger time. Don't right. let anyone tell you any different. So when you're having fun and you're shooting lollipop sticks with your handgun, 22 handgun at 15, 20 yards, that's going to translate into shooting your Glock better. It's going to translate right. into into being able to have that practice uh, in your marksmanship fundamentals that just will come easier and quicker. Yep. And I'm not going to say muscle memory because people love to get all twisted out about that. But practice is practice, <clears throat> and, and you just get better at it. And that's what I learned uh, between dry fire and shooting 22s. I, I attribute all of that to me being better than average with a handgun. Right. Muscle memory, when you're talking precision, I don't view muscle memory as like a thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting you brought that up. Now, when you're talking about, you know, when I'm t when you're talking about something like maybe archery or you're talking about shotgunning um, mm -hmm. or you're talking about speed, like still challenge type thing. Absolutely. I think muscle memory is a thing, right? Especially when you're talking defensive training and things. Muscle memory, I think, is a thing. With precision, muscle memory to me implies movement, right? Your muscles move a certain way, a certain length, a certain direction, and you train that over and over and over. That way you don't overextend or underextend or move too far or move too little. You know what I mean? With okay. precision, the key is not moving at all. It's like <laughs> you want like no movement. You don't want any wobble. I mean, this is where we talk about breathing and pulse. Mm -hmm. Even that type of movement when you're talking precision, you know, can can be the difference between, oh, I place first and I place ninth, you know. Um, so I don't I don't typically talk muscle memory. Uh, I do talk about being able to get into the proper form and and things like that. And there certainly is some validity, I guess, to the muscle memory thing as far as naturally being able to get into the proper form you need to get in and, and things like that. Uh, and it feeling comfortable to you is another thing because you mean like stance. Yeah. 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 The shooting position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and that's what, yeah, you're right. I believe that's where the muscle memory comes in is getting in that position quickly, having it be a solid position. And then you can work from there again, not moving because you have bone on bone. Uh, right, uh, but in but in precision matches, and this is where I we we diverge a little bit. I think maybe with the muscle memory, because in precision matches, like a lot of the ones I know, you're firing thirty rounds in forty five minutes. Right, you've got time. 
you've got time to, you know, it's not like you have to get into that position quickly. You've got time to take your time, <laughs> make sure all your ducks are in a row, right? Um, the biggest issue I've ever seen, and we're talking predominantly dealing with kids who are impatient anyway, right? And my youngest daughter was the was the greatest at time management. Um, you know, she would eat up the, the clock would be the clock would be counting down the final seconds as she fired her final round. She would get up, take a break, get some water, the whole nine, um, and really utilize that clock. Whereas a lot of kids get down and go pow, 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 pow. They're not shooting that fast, obviously, because they're using bolt action. But you get where I'm going, right? They oh, would yeah. get down in a position. They would pop, 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 pop. They would take no break. They would, do, you know, and it 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 affect it affects things, you know, um, when you've got time with the precision stuff. Uh, now there are some precision stuff that is timed, especially when you get into um, you know, some of the, uh, you know, bullseye pistol matches, for example, and things like that. You've got the slow fire phases. You've got, you got plenty of time there. But when you get into, you know, rapid fire, for example, you know, you've still got a lot of time, but you don't have nearly as much time. So um, things like that do make a do make a difference to be able to you know, get into that position uh, as quickly as possible because you can't raise that firearm until, you know, until the call is given. I, I think it's funny because... Again, I started out in high school with with the precision shooting uh, with air rifle, and that taught me that timing that your daughter, you know, learned to use. And uh, <laughs> it came back when I was taking a Chris Costa rifle class, and uh, we went prone fifty yards, you know, tightening it up. And he was like, "All right, this is timed," and the guys dropped down, and I forgot how long we had to shoot these rounds. But I'm like, I counted every, you know, round, made sure my breathing was right, made sure my sight pitches was right. And, of course, these guys, many of them have never shot like that ever. So they burned through it right away. I right. shoot this really tight group, and my last shot broke, like, three seconds before the timer goes off. Yeah. <laughs> and Costa was like, yo, dude, you nailed that timing. I'm like, yeah, been doing it kind of for years. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um. Yeah, there was. You were talking about that. It was a point I was a point I was going to make, and I can't think of what it was now. Um, dang, yeah, I don't remember. Time management. Yeah, it. It. I think it. it dealt with that. I can't think of what it was. Crap. Yeah, we, we, we can start right, back well, around gonna, if I remember. I'm going to jump on to the next one. But, yeah. Uh, Ron is saying, asking, what are you guys' thoughts on the 22 Aguila 60 grain? Uh. Uh, subsonic. Uh, I've shot it. It stinks, but it works. And that thing hits hard because it's a sixty gram. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with Tony. I don't. I'm not a fan. Um, like I wouldn't. I wouldn't use it for anything other than hey, this is a sixty grain. Let's go see what it does. Oh, it dings still really well, or whatever. Cool. Or I'm running it through a suppressor, so it's like, oh, this is really quiet. I mean, it's that's about oh, where it is for me. So for Pretty people much. who don't speak 22, I have this other box of Aguilia over here. Where did I put it? Um, a box, where did I put it? There's, uh, typically your Aguila is the so, is the silent stuff, and it has either a really tiny projectile, right? Where did I put it? I guess I didn't take it out. This Calibri stuff has yep. a 20 grain projectile. So when you're saying a 60 grain, this uh, stuff here, I don't know. Something else tell me what grain it is. What's a standard grain on a 22? Like 40? 
36 to 40. So, yeah. so we're yeah. talking basically a 22 Magnum projectile in a 22 long rifle case with not that much powder so that it's a massive thing going very slow so that it doesn't break the sound barrier. Is that what we're talking mm -hmm. about? Yep. So it's a unique combo of things. It's very little powder. The biggest projectile you can shove down a barrel without worrying about if it can be go out of a rifle probably. And it probably still says on the box somewhere. This is only made for handgun, and and it's designed to be quiet and offer a lot of energy delivering when it gets there. Instead of just being accurate, it's offering energy to to knock out a critter or something, or knock out a bird when it hits it. Mm -hmm. I, I look at something like that as you live in a suburban area and you don't want to have the sonic crack of a twenty-two, but you're doing some pest elimination or something like that. Um, that's the way I see that. Plus, you also also have to make sure it's accurate because you want to hit what you're aiming at. And it's big, heavy, slow, so it shouldn't go that far because, again, it's big, heavy, and slow. So whatever you hit, it should stop on the other side of it. Yep. Small game-wise. Yep. So we all want it, but we aren't going to use it very often. Right. Mm -hmm. I'd like to have a few pieces of it yeah. or something, but yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, twenty-two short, same thing in my Is opinion. Is the Gentech going to be real close? Yeah, yeah, the Gentech's pretty close to what that that Aguila is. So it's and just, an Aguila. I don't know if this guy's the same projectile, but this is heavier, forty-two grain. So this isn't still as big as that projectile, but right. it's the same idea. Be an effective, quiet. Uh, 22 that doesn't break sound barrier. And then you've got the uh, the CCI CB shorts. Yep. Charlie Bravo, CB shorts. CB shorts. And then you've also got the Agula Calibri, uh, which yep. are uh, the Agula Calibri. Uh, the CCI shorts are basically a normal projectile with no powder at all, I think. And then the um, if, if there is, there's very little. And then the um, the Agula Calibri are almost like a 22 pellet or something. Very small projectile with no power. And those are quiet too. And if you're talking about very small, you know, rats or mice or something, mm -hmm. uh, plenty enough. I mean, you're talking about slightly better probably than a pellet rifle on either of those. Yep. Purely a pellet rifle. That's what I would consider the Calibri. It's just the primer in a 22 is what I thought. Right? It kind of is. Yeah. 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 And it's basically, we use it when we go camping just to shoot at flowers and whatever we're shooting at, you know, just the, shooting for plinking because right. it's quiet. Basically. The reason I would not say it's a pellet rifle is because with air, you have the possibility of some inconsistency with the volume, right? The PSI yep. behind that projectile, whereas if those Calibri or the, the CB short or whatever are going to be pretty similar, at least across a box and hopefully across a lot. Um with what they do, you don't got to worry about a you know, pumping something back up again, or is my CO two cartridge low, or you know things like that affecting your point of aim versus your point of impact. Did they just change the box from that hummingbird to this, or is there a difference between the rainbow hummingbird box and the more normal looking box? I think that's just a box change. Okay, yeah, yeah I usually see the top one, um, and also with air guns, which people don't know, especially if you use the Springer. It's the position you have your hand on it. Like everything with yep. a uh, Springer is harder. You don't have to deal with that with a 22. 
so I remember <laughs> what I was going to say, Tony. You said Aragon, and, it, and we, I remembered. One of the great things about, and I never was a huge fan, and I'm still not, to be honest, that the child's big enough to shoot pellet rifles, like serious pellet rifles. They're, they probably can handle 22. Um, but there is some validity to the air gun, especially rifle. Uh, well, mm-hmm. let me take that back. Rifle and pistol, and it's in follow through. Um, mm-hmm. Follow through with air and archery, it is too, is super, super important. Uh, follow through with shotgun is super important too, but that's a whole different concept. Uh, different follow through when follow through when you're talking about archery and, and air rifle is no movement after the shot breaks, right? Uh, yep. That type of follow through. I usually teach my, my kids to count down from three. It's like bang, two, one, okay, come <laughs> off, right? Um, yep. And so air gun is it's more exaggerated if you have a follow-through problem it's really easy it's a lot easier to tell that and once you can nail down your follow-through with air gun and translate that you know if you're having a problem with follow-through get you an air rifle and 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 especially a bb gun to be quite honest with you because bb guns are the worst with follow-through um get you a bb gun of some kind of a bb rifle um and practice your follow-through with that bb rifle uh, and then that's going to make it even better when it comes to 22 and then, of course, everything else uh, above that. Oh, I'm just laughing because the less and less expensive we get, right? We've gone from 22s to BB rifles, and it's like it helps improve your marksmanship fundamentals. Yeah, the level of difficulty, <laughs> the level of difficulty truly is higher. But you, all, but listen to it though. When you listen to people talk, you think it's kids' guns and it's a beginner gun, and I'm like, it can yeah. be. But depends on what you make it do. Mm-hmm. And and when you're trying to hit small targets consistently, you're going to have to put those things to work. And, and the least expensive ways to do it is BBs and 22s. Yep. And, and I, I found that uh, if you guys remember the old Crossman pump pistols, I think 1722s they were called or something like that. Right. Uh, they sell them at Walmart now. Well, of course, I had one growing up. And then I found one at Walmart in uh, PA and purchased it there because if I would have bought it in Jersey, I would have actually had to go to the police department and get a pistol purchase permit to pick up the pellet gun. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I picked that up and took it to my backyard. I set up some targets with some, uh, was it duct putty or whatever you call it, duct seal mm-hmm. as a backstop. And I started shooting air rifle at 10 meters again or air pistol at 10 meters again. And yeah. man, does that bring out all the work you need to do with 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 putting rounds on target with a handgun. And again, yeah. I'm using crossman pellets. And uh, I, I did the same thing I did with the 22. I started buying more and more expensive uh, 177 pellets right? Uh, just to see what worked. And I started getting some beaming and some heavier pellets for more precision work. And it actually showed up. Uh, in, in the way my targets look. Yep. And I think that was some of the most fun there was. So, yeah, don't sleep on the 22, uh, how much you can learn, and even a handgun or a pellet rifle, especially if you live in a restricted state or you live somewhere where you can't shoot within city limits, something that actually uses gunpowder. Yep. Um, air rifles are a great option or air guns are a great option. And you make a, and you make a solid point about testing out some different pellets or different, even different BBs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I've learned this with that Brodax revolver that I got in here a few weeks ago. Um, I'm going to have to go out and get several different types of BBs and, and stuff and play with them. Because I was actually talking with them at NRAM about, you know, some of the things I, not bad things, but just some of the things I experienced with that. Um, and they were like, you just went out and got the cheapest BBs you could find, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah, I did. I'm not going to lie. And, and, I mean, we tend to do that, right? We go out we get our kid a BB gun or we get ourselves one to play around with and we buy the cheap crap. That's just what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, you know, you probably know, at the end it. of the day, especially if you're talking about, especially if you're talking about pellets and you're talking about a rifled barrel. At the end of the mm-hmm. day, you run into the same issues as modern firearms. I mean, the rifling and all of that stuff, you know, has to made up correctly. And some types of pellets and BBs just won't perform as good uh, in some rifles as others. Yep. Definitely. Most people don't know there's grade to that stuff until you experience the fact that there's grade to that stuff. Right. Oh, that's right. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, if you're just, you know, shooting at paper or shooting at, you know, empty Coke cans or, or soup cans or whatever, uh, if you're good enough, you got good enough ammo or whatever it is or pellets or BB, whatever, to hit those. Who cares if you're just out there having fun? But, I, I, you know, we got to we got to discern between are we just going out and basically wasting ammo or whatever and having fun? Or are we trying to get better or are we trying to actually become more precise or, you know, what's the overall goal? What do we what do we want to do? What's the task at hand? Right. Yeah. And, and that's with any firearms purchase or any purchase of anything. Totally. What's yeah. what's the job you want this thing to do? Mm-hmm. All right. So here's an easy one for everybody. Uh, thanks, everybody, for throwing in questions. Uh, we usually try to stay at an hour. That means we go to 90 minutes, and then we, ch- we usually get done two hours. So we'll try to hit all these questions that are coming in. They're not coming in that fast. But thanks to the people that are throwing them in here. So, again, this is an easy softball. What's uh, this from Weston? What's the best all-around bullet green for 22? Real quick. What's the best weight green bullet for that real quick? I think 40. <laughs> um, I, I think in that same area, 36, 40, whole yeah. thing. Yeah, definitely, definitely no no lighter than thirty six, and definitely no heavier than forty. But yeah, I would, yeah, I go forty if I have all around. That's the for sure. But I think that's the reason we've kind of been kind of we haven't really specifically said it, but these things range from what twenty or less grains because you can have really weird little projectiles Mm -hmm. or shot shells even, all the way up to sixty something. So these that one of the neat things about twenty two for lots of reasons. There's tons of tech in it. So, you know, the best, I thought, we, I, yeah. I was trying to be facetious or whatever, funny. I thought you guys were going to say, oh, it depends because it kind of depends. Because if you want to be quiet, you know what I mean? That's different than if you want to be accurate somewhere long distance, short well, whatever. Yeah, we, we just kind of said it depends on what you want to do with that particular thing. But yeah. we meant just right down the middle, man. You got a Ruger 1022 of Idol 60 or whatever. What is the box you grab that will do the 22 thing? And, I would yeah. it, when you're just talking in general, this is kind of a side question. But if you buy a box of 22 long rifle in a box like this, you're good to go, right? Like oh, they're never going to bother putting something in a box like this that isn't decent for pretty much every. It's going to be fine for a revolver because honestly, anything's going to work in a revolver unless mm-hmm. it's got bad. Players. But to cycle an action, it doesn't matter the brand. Just if it's in this kind of uh, more than one brand uses these box, right? It's just when you okay. get it in some kind of box that costs some money. It means that yeah. they're differentiated from the other ones. And you're probably somebody who doesn't want your bullets to get all knocked around. Because that's the other reason for this is that yep. this box of ammo or bag of ammo is getting all jostled around. And it's semi-fragile. It's getting dinked up and dented and whatever. 
it's not super fragile, but it ain't as nice as this, which is never even hardly, I don't think it can touch each other, can it? It's literally really? just in about yeah. as pristine a condition as you can get. So typically they're only going to bother with this in the decent, whatever, the decent model of their ammo or the decent brand of their ammo. Well, I shouldn't say that. whatever brand it is, decent level. That's funny because it's the same thing with pellets. Um, if you look at the bulk pack from Crossman, you know, that has the 500 rounds in it, it's all dumped in a 10. But then when you get up to things like uh, the more expensive pellets, it's like the 10 itself has felt at the bottom <laughs> or, or cushion at the bottom and on top. So, like, the pellets don't bang against each other. Yeah, yeah. in the form. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> so, same thing. <clears throat> Because it's all soft lead. Yep. Did you skip one, G? Just curious. The barrel length one up there. Did we? Yeah. I could have. Oh, yeah, I totally did. What is a good barrel length for and twist rate for 22? So I'll let you guys take that one in. I say 16-inch uh, twist is stand pretty standard and 20 inch barrel length is what i would consider optimal for complete powder burn in most with most 22 we talked about a lot of 22 long rifle loads and there's jillions out there um 16 inches usually plenty to to complete the burn and everything in it but that extra little bit i you don't know if it's stabilization i honestly don't know the science behind it but i go 16 inch twist which seems to be the, the common standard and then that 20 inch barrel length I kind of agree. Um, I mean, I don't really get that into it, but you want the whole velocity thing going um, because that's what, I mean, really, they measure it and do the velocity test with a 20-inch barrel for the most part, right? Yeah. What they have on the side of boxes. So well, that's what I go with. Well, some of them do 24. So you want the velocity. I agree with you, Tony, and I disagree. Okay. You want the velocity, and then on the same hand, you don't. Um, subsonic ammunition. That's why the vast majority of your match ammunitions are subsonic. Mm -hmm. um, subsonic, and that's I think that's why 22 is historically a lot more accurate than other ammunition, other calibers that are out there, is because it is slower. So yep. you know, when you stay in that, yeah, when you stay in that subsonic realm, I think that's when you get the best accuracy. So. Yep. Um, even a, even a round that let's say is rated on the box at, you know, 16, 1700, 13, 1400 feet a second in a handgun or in a shorter barrel can be subsonic because it's not building up. Um, and then the second thing that I would, I would say about that, that I didn't mention a second ago is longer barrel length. You got to keep in mind something about longer barrel length. And this is why you see a lot of your competition rifles that are like, four foot long that's an exaggeration but you get where i'm saying mm -hmm. they're super long and you're like oh my god why you need that long right well it's because of sight radius, sight radius you, start, yeah. you start talking about having front or rear irons that extended sight radius is going to create a more accurate scenario as well g-webs is breaking out the artwork now looks like that looks like the come and take it cannon. Just say it. Yeah, doesn't it though? Um, I so, was looking uh, at it. Go ahead. Oh, I'm I'm robot, so go ahead and take it while I get better internet here. 
Oh, what I was going to say is, yeah, yeah, what I meant by saying the velocity is it meets the velocity that's on the side of the box, what they do the testing with. Right. It's a longer yeah. barrel. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. That's what I meant by that. But, yeah, definitely right. When, when a round breaks the sonic barrier, um, it affects its accuracy. Uh, yeah. That's why uh, a lot of the target pellet rifles, again, keep it below the sonic boom, and they're very, very accurate. And once right. you get above it, it starts doing weird things. Because with pellets and even with 22s, they don't have that great ballistic coefficient uh, like uh, boat tail rounds or spitzer bullets. So, yeah, definitely below the sonic barriers where you want 22s to be be accurate. So if I'm connected again, I was just putting this. So this is the barrel in the cart, you know, in a rifle or whatever, actually handgun, even this is the cartridge over here with the projectile. So the primer ignites the powder and then that starts to ignite. And then the expanding gases are going to push that projectile out. So you've got the friction of how tight the projectile is to the barrel. And the, the, that's where the rifling comes into effect and is factors in the math and stuff. But as far as the distance of that barrel, the question about, um, what is it? The barrel length for the that projectile is going to have a weight, so that's one factor in the math. And then this correct barrel length is going to have friction, right? So that uh-huh. if you put too much barrel length, the bullet will just stop somewhere. Like there won't be enough pressure to push it out, right? If you put it too short, then it never gets a chance to ever get any spin, and it never gets a chance to build pressure. So it's just going to kind of fall out, right? Like if you just ignite a primer and a cartridge. It, it's just going to fall out. It doesn't get pushed out. It just falls out. So if the barrel's too short, the projectile is going to drop. If it gets too long, the projectile is just going to stop somewhere. So there's that sweet spot where friction, it, you know, it, it, it it's going to b- break friction and friction doesn't start to slow it down again. But then you're also getting the full capability of rifling. And then there's something in there. Like if you have a slow rifling, like, you know, the spiral, then in, as opposed to a really fast rifling too long a barrel you you lose some of that or you gain some of that like that, that's all part of this right so you've got right. people reload and worry about the projectile and the powder and the math and the chemistry over here you get people that are worried about the engineering of the barrel and the the, the centricity of the bore and all the stuff and the muzzle and all that and then you get people that are into the the math and the trajectory of the when all this is tuned in to getting it on the paper and then some people overlook all that and just as long as it's within realm like will it fit in here is it safe is it within the reasonable distance and then boom they're just making hits right like that's sort of the question is how do you do that math and you're i guess to answer it then clover you're saying a 20 inch barrel and then tony did you say the same thing yeah definitely so if you go to like at what distance is a barrel too long for 22 just to put some boundaries on it. Oh, good. that's a good question. All right, because, uh, my, again, I'm going to go to the longest barrel thing I have, which is a uh, <clears throat> Henry Frontier, and I think that has like a 24-inch barrel. And uh, I got that CZ Ultralux, and I think it does too, like 24, 26-inch barrel. They're the ones that's like to the limit and depends on what you use. So if I use a short a 22 short or maybe one of those CBs, that round can actually get stuck before it comes out of the barrel, if I'm not careful, because it's so long, um, that will run out of energy. Or at least that's what they say on the side of the box. I didn't have it happen, but I was prepared for it to happen when I put them in there. Um, 
So that's the only way I think it can be too long and just keep it reasonable. I don't think anybody sells like a 30-inch 22 barrel. I don't, I don't either. I mean, even when you get into your <laughs> Olympic grade, your high-end competition grade, I don't know that I've ever seen anything longer than a 24. Mm-hmm. Right, because that's really the answer, right? Because if they if they could get advantage and they had no rules, then why wouldn't they make it a 70-inch right. now, right? now that Now, that said, and Tony know, probably knows where I'm going with this, that said, they do make barrel sight extensions mm-hmm. that that it looks like you'll see a competition <laughs> and you're like well, that person's got a six foot barrel what in the world and it's not it's basically a, an extension that it just extends the sight radius it's a it's a tube or it's a you know what i mean it's a it's not part of oh the really so yeah. i was gonna say like a counterweight but you're saying just to have a longer sight radius they'll literally just put like a comb on top of the barrel like on a shotgun they'll just put that comb on there way out past the barrel because they know like a, or like a rib or something yeah yeah uh-huh. yeah. 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 yeah exactly so interesting oh, yeah. i didn't even thought about that yep so some of them long chokes or is that different is any long sh- chokes doing that some of them about, like with a shotgun, like extended yes, chokes. There's there's several reasons for an extended choke. That's in a shotgun. That gives them a whole different conversation. Um, a lot of that is a lot of that can be that can be recoil mitigation. It can be just the ease of changing the choke, um, because a lot of people that use oh, yeah, extended know, chokes are, are so you can work on yeah, it. they're can. swapping from stage to stage. You really don't need a tool to do that. You can break it loose pretty easily well, and, and run it in and out. You can just swap it out with a new one, right? Yeah, you don't have to worry yeah. about cleaning it. Well, this is true. This is true. And if they're worried about shop clamp pattern. But anyway, we're getting off topic. Yeah. So the next one, I think, um, I think the next one was, well, I was going to, I was just reading MC said the sportsman club of men holds an informal CMP, civilian marksmanship program, rim rim fire shoot each month, 60 rounds of fire, 50 to 25 yards, six, 10 round sections covering fast and slow prone, slow and fast kneeling, and then sitting at 50. And uh, that sounds like not like what we did in scouts. Is that kind yep. of a couple of stages or a couple of positions, I guess, and then slow fire. And I never like, got into it like you guys were talking about taking the time. Like I never got into it that much. But that makes yeah, sense that if you get 30 seconds to shoot six rounds or something, that figure out so you don't stress yourself and you know you're giving yourself enough time. There's a lot to it. That's a world of time. Once you get into the competition world, you realize that a couple seconds a shot is a lot. Even even with a even with a bolt rifle, it's a lot. It's a lot of time. <clears throat> you learn it. Um, That's why I'm glad they don't use semi-automatic guns in in any sports, because that would be too many. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was the best being funny because that's just nonsense words that people are using right now nonsensically. Um, have you seen this one's from MC? A real question. Have you seen the videos of people reloading 22 and thoughts? Oh, yeah. That was bad there too. When the reloading, when 22 was the reason I have this box is like all of you are cheap because there's like one or two rounds missing out of it. And when I go to gun shops to visit or hang out or just to walk in the door and see what's up, uh, I'll try to buy something like a, a open box because it's usually a couple bucks cheaper than the full box and it gives me something I can buy. And you know, what's wrong with having a bunch of ammo? But uh, in those times, the reason I do this is because I've lived through times when 22 gets dried up. And I think that's when people are reloading. I don't think we've heard about it too much since. But what do you guys think about it? Um, It is a very tedious process. Um, I have actually, I've got a buddy that has the the kit that was made some time ago where you can actually swage uh, 22 
you use 22 cases to swage a, a, a jacket and you mold and it comes with a mold and uh, it's basically a kit to do it right um and what i have found is that in, in any even the kits let alone trying to do something by hand can you make it work yeah you can make it work you can make it go bang and the and the projectile come out the end of the barrel um but just with years literally of playing around with his stuff and everything um being able to get it accurate is just is a problem once you once you start once you ding you got to realize that 22 long rifle head spaces on the case rim it's rimmed cartridges it head spaces on that rim once you ding that rim right and slam a bolt into it or whatever the case may be you change the parameters of that rim and so the headspace is going to be off just a little bit. Now we're talking precision. We're talking being able to 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 precisely hit some things, um, but yeah, the consistency, the the precision, just all of that to me with reloading twenty two is not there. Is it fun to do just to say you did it? Yeah, but the companies that are producing, even the crappiest companies that are producing twenty two, have some pretty advanced machinery that do it, um, and they do it those machines do it a lot more consistently than you can do it with any of the the, the uh equipment i've seen on the market yeah i i feel the do what you want to do because you're a grown grown man or woman but um if you're going to take the time and the material to reload why not reload uh centerfire ammo uh that's easier um bigger bigger diameter I mean, think about pouring powder into a 22 cartridge. That's yeah. nuts. It's going to make a 38 look like a 55 gallon bucket. Well, and it's <laughs> having the right. It's having the right powder too. There's not very many that are that good. And you really, yeah, you're right. It sucks. You're you're yeah. more. I would say the times I've do it, it's more powder residue almost in the case than it is putting powder in it. It's wow, it's weird. Yeah. So I mean, hey, do what you want to do, but uh, I would. Like Black Clover said, just to say you did it. Go ahead. Cool oh, yeah. story, bro. Cool story, bro. I have made. Been. I've talked about making before. I've talked about making three hundred blackouts, taking a five five six and a three oh eight, and making a three hundred blackout. Actually, made multiple um, without any electricity, right? Just because I'm a three hundred blackout guy, and I've had people go, oh, you know, what happens when you don't have their scales and you're this and you're that, and I'm like, eh. You know, I think you could still do it. Um, and I did just to prove that it could be done. Now, <laughs> would I want to do that? It's like, probably not, but it can be done. You can take two rounds and make one. It does work. I don't have much to have. <laughs> on the There's another thing. It's Clover Tech and Mad Max beyond Thunderdome when he has to make his own 300 blackout. Right. It's forging. So I think the uh, another thing that's adjacent to reloading twenty two is taking the twenty two brass that's shot and turning it into two two three, swaging. Yeah. Is that what it is? Swaging two two three with brass from right. twenty two. So that's another thing that you can do with twenty two if you don't like the idea of wasting a bunch of twenty two. Plus twenty two brass spent twenty two brass is a super useful thing that just be creative. You might want to wash it out if you're giving it to kids or something, but. It's like a tack. It can be a rivet. It can be a brad. It can be a nail. Like, you know, it's an interesting little piece of. I've crap. got, I've got. So do you know, you know the little major 
whatever major retail box stores that sell the uh, you know assemble assemble them yourself cheap particle board cabinets you know what i'm talking about i only <laughs> buy things made out of fancy rainforest <laughs> woods but i've heard of people buying you know them. what i'm talking about though so you know the pegs that hold the doors in i'm sure you know what i'm talking oh, yeah, about yeah. Little oh, wood yeah. Dowels. so so yeah. i've got those eventually break if you have those cabinets long enough and a 22 magnum case works perfectly to replace <laughs> that just ask me how i know because it does it's perfect for that <laughs> that's fun yeah and even if it you had an issue you could fill it with something easily yeah and it'd still be the dimensions and it would hold whatever you put in there like a chama uh, uh, jam it into uh what am I trying to say a chopstick or something to fill it with a uh, bamboo you know right. it'd be super easy. and then if you worried about it crushing or something right depending on how much weight on the shelf but no that's exactly um i think i'm down to this one if i'm missing a question feel free to let us know that we missed one but so maggie's saying his dad's sig mosquito is very picky on ammo times he barely shoots it because it's annoying i just wanted to put that one out there to be the indicator for we haven't really covered 22 verse in a revolver versus 22 in uh semi-auto 22 in a handgun versus temps of 22 in a rifle and then same kind of thing bolt action versus semi-auto you get things like rim lock i brought a couple of magazines to be able to point things out but rim lock you get um issues with removing the spent case because of lack of to chain uh what am i trying to say lack of taper or when there is taper um you know so those kind of issues you guys want to address those kind of things the issues that we can have use wait go for it i don't want to Go for it. Well, I, I've I've only had experience well with the lever actions, the bolt actions, and semi-autos when it comes to rifles, um, and really not that much of a problem with any of them. I mean, to make it because of course I found the ammo that works, and I keep using that ammo after I found what works. I didn't really stray further from that, and I made sure I found at least three to four ammos that work just in case uh, we have crazy times and you can't find, if I can't find a box of federal, I can go to CCI. If I can't find a CCI, I can go to Gila. You know, I, I have a whole list of things I go down. So when you compare them, I find something that works in everything I have. Um, yeah. I've been lucky enough because the only handgun that's 22 I have is the Ruger SR-22, even though I mean to get other handguns in 22. Um, and it feeds the exact same stuff that the rifles feed. So I got lucky, but I also did the research to make sure I got something to work across all platforms. Yeah. So talking about that, that's a Sig Mosquito that I don't know if it's still for sale, but I know the design was taken over by GSG and they called it the Firefly. Yep. Um, was notorious and honestly all of the sig 22 stuff they did uh was that the 1911s i spoke about earlier were uh that we had different ammunition issues they were they were sigs um so yeah you're gonna have you're gonna have those different issues um I, you know at at some point do you blame the the firearm or do you blame the ammunition right i think that's where a lot of people they don't understand the nuances and the just the wide availability and the the different types and other things of 
of ammunition. They understand it, which is weird when it comes to like center fire, but they don't understand that, okay, if I'm shooting a 32 grain in this, maybe I need to bump up to a 40 grain or you know, whatever the case may be. They don't, they don't get that, right? Because the numbers are so low, those grain numbers, that mm -hmm. it, it never registers, right? But those springs and actions and a lot of the other things are tuned. Um, you've also got, you know, how, how the quality of the case that's used, the quality of the, the priming compound inside, you know, all of that is going gonna, is gonna to factor in and make a difference. Um, I know that, I can't remember what brand it was now to save my life, but there was, I want to say it was like some of the Winchester 333 white boxes. Um, and maybe it wasn't, maybe it was Winchester Wildcat. Ah, maybe it was Winchester Wildcat. Now the Winchester expert, I haven't had a ton of trouble with, but maybe it's the Winchester Wildcat. That stuff would, and we primarily used bolt rifles. That stuff was super dirty, first of all, and the cases would swell. So you would get some where you would fire them and you couldn't open the bolt. You couldn't like, I mean, a kid couldn't like, it was hard to open the bolt and extract that case. And sometimes it would tear the case head even when you did that. Um, and then you had to dig that stuff out with a pocket knife. I can remember, and we had like a few boxes that was given to the club. So obviously where we're going to shoot it. Right. Um, and I literally had to break out cleaning rods and give each of the kids a cleaning rod or a dowel rod or something. And after they fired, they literally had to knock the case out with a cleaning rod. Uh, simply because I didn't, I mean, those that had pocket knives dug them out with pocket knives, but you get where I'm going with that. Um, so, and then, you know, that's an example of, of, you know, it, they're not functioning right, but it's an ammo issue, right? More than anything. Um, G webs is right. I mean, the, the, the G 44, when that come out, it got a lot of hate. Um, and part of the reason where people weren't paying attention to how they were loading the, the magazine. Uh, and they were getting some some rim overlap and, and rim lock and some other different weird issues like that going on. Um, and then, but uh, that's because there, are, there was not that many twenty two semi autos for one. Definitely not stacked or whatever. Uh -huh, or, right, know, right. Staggered. And then the ones that did exist were just in so limited production that people that knew about it were few. So right. yeah, yeah. And, and there was then, no internet back in the day to tell each other about it. Yeah, no, this is true. Uh, and then, you know, the other thing that I would say about the malfunctions and different things is 22 is dirty. I mean, even if you're talking about match grade idle or 22 compared to, you know, just I can't think of anything center fire that's just freaking dirty. Um, it's dirty. It's super dirty. And, you know, I always one of the things that people seldom do, and I think that it needs to be done. Um is I will take, you know, some solvent and, and a, uh, a brush and like, even on my, on my, my buck marks, Ruger's are, are super bad, the mark series, but you know, even with my, my buck marks and high standards and other things, you know, every couple of hundred rounds, if they're out on the range and they're going to be ran for several hundred rounds, <laughs> certainly we do this in a competition. Uh, but I'll break out the solvent and clean the, the chamber face, the bolt face, uh, the ramp. I'll brush all of that. Um, because that's that, that stuff gets super dirty. And here's with semi-auto, this is something that um, always wear eye protection, right? Um, and, I, and I'll tell you why is as 22, because it's inherently dirty and you're talking about it being in the semi-automatic platform, that gunk will build up on the breech face and the bolt face. 
Um, and that stuff, as that fire is cycling, will fly back into your face and your eyes. It will happen. Um, the dirtier it gets, the worse it gets. And then obviously you'll, you'll have a malfunction. You'll have, it'll short stroke. You'll have something weird. It won't extract. You'll have something weird that'll go on because it, it gets dirty to some point. But um, one little flake of unburnt powder, gunk, whatever in your eyes, enough to blind you. So uh, be mindful of that. And, and with 22, like I said, it, it, I'm not saying every 200 rounds tear it down and do a complete disassembly clean and put it back together. Uh, but at least brush the, the breech face, the bolt face, the, the, uh, the feed ramp, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I think another good thing, um, about, um, the newer generation of 22 handguns, 22 is they made them easier to take apart. Uh, I mean, the Ruger Mark series was renowned for being a pain in the butt to yep. take apart and get back together. So uh, again, I'll go with what I have, the SR-22, real easy for me to tear down, clean up really quick, smack it back together. I mean, it takes me longer to tell you how to do it than it takes to do it. Yep. And, and that ease allows ease of maintenance to keep the gun clean and keep the gun running. Because like you said, um, if you don't keep it clean, you have particles that'll fly out and I'm teaching kids a first-time gun users, and I don't need yeah. them to have a bad experience. Yeah. Uh, with it. And it might not even fly out in your face. The most common thing I've, I've had with it, and I've seen it on various <laughs> brands of, you know, brands make some models as they get dirty, but that I've seen powder blow out, hot powder blow back onto their hands while mm -hmm. they were shooting. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and when you're talking about a kid or a first-time gun owner or something, that can freak them out. I mean, for us, it's like, ow, oh, that's fun. You know, and we know what it is and we keep going mm -hmm. and whatever we got your eye pro on. So you know, matters, it's going right? to end really quick, but a new person thinks they're about to, you know, they're right. not having a time. Yeah, burst in the flame. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It could freak them out. So it's, just, it's like kind of like when a, a person, first time shooter gets hot brass right down their shirt. Or something. It's like uh, that's an experience for them. It's an experience anytime it happens, quite honestly. Yes, sir. Right, Depends. So nobody's asked about using 22s in self-defense. Usually somebody Most does. of the people watching probably are, have heard that or, you know what I mean? But that's, uh, I think, yep. well, I don't know. I mean, it comes up for sure. It's less of an issue because we got so many alternatives. I think it was more of an issue when it was like 22 straight up to 38, really, for a while there. <clears throat> well, actually, for me, I actually had my 22 as a self-defense firearm because of where I lived. Uh, in Jersey, uh, it was getting a pistol purchase permit that was taking a long time. Uh, when I came up here and decided to bring my firearms up, I could bring my firearms to the state without a firearms ID card, but I couldn't really go to a range with it. And then when I moved to Trenton, New Jersey, I wanted something to protect my household. But using the M1917 30-06 was a little bit of overkill, but that was the only firearm I had at the time. So when I picked up a 1022, because again, I just like shooting little groups. I wasn't getting it for, you know, self-protection. I was getting it for range time and work on marksmanship fundamentals. That became my home self-defense firearm until I could get the other paperwork done and get that firearm. So um, what I did was made sure, one, it's the worst possible choice you can make. When it, uh, a bad choice. Um, because of small 
the smallness of the rounds, the velocity of the round, uh, the ammunition, it's not always uh, reliable. So what I did was find the hottest ammo I could, Velocitors and the Agila. I made sure to run it, and I kept the gun really clean. And that was my only, if something happens, and of course I worked on rapid fire. So if anything happens, you're catching all the BBs as quickly as possible. And hopefully that would work for my home defense firearm in a 22. But there are nothing but better options out there, including a pump action shotgun, 400 bucks, it's 12 for 20 gauge, or any gauge, <laughs> compared to a 22 long rifle. We're about to get that question here in a bit. So let's just do that one first because somebody uh, I think did ask it because we asked was kind of asked or whatever. Um, so Clover, feel free if you've got a point to make. My issue is usually the rim lock issue with magazine that rim fires tend to be more annoying and Murphy's law means that that's, you know, when you need it is when it'll be the most annoying. But then uh, the, also the primer in rim fire it's Murphy's law is going to pick that time to that's where you got the gap in the primer fluid or whatever to, uh, you know, where your hammer hit when you need it. Um, and then the last thing is in magnums, it can be a pain. And that's one of the flaws in the semi-auto magnum uh, pistols. Other than that, though, uh, in a semi-auto revolver and now this Ruger, I think it's ugly, but the Ruger LCR in 22 magnum, uh, you know, that's a capable thing, a capable device. I think it's like 10 rounds or something, so it's capable. Uh, the trigger pull might be a little tough for somebody, but, uh, you know, I, I think, yeah. like Tony said, there's nothing but better options. I think there's nothing but better options, I guess, just so I may have to do it. Uh, and I think you kind of touched on this, but, you know, dexterity or injury or age or fragility, all those things, 22 Magnum starts to apply, and then even 22 everybody has a right to keep people off of them or whatever happens, right? Especially yeah. critters and things, you know, whatever. You got I'm, a right to make some noise. I'm not overall the fan of rimfire for it. Just, it's just because, I mean, I this is no joke. I mean, you talk 22 long rifle, especially if you was to throw, you know, magnums and HMRs and all of that in there. I mean, there's no doubt I've, I've fired over a million rounds of 22 long rifle in my lifetime. Uh, I actually did the math the other day. Um, just rough estimate, but, um, and so coming from somebody that has that type of experience firing that kind of ammo in a variety, huge variety of firearms, um, the cartridge itself is just, I don't trust it myself. Now, assuming that it goes bang and it gets out the barrel, I, there's no disputing that, you know, it's going to make somebody think twice. Uh, um, but you know, I'm just not willing to do that. Now, if I was, let me back up with willing to do that because I do have a Northern American Arms uh, 22 Magnum. Um, mm -hmm. So if I was going to, it's obvious by having that, that I would pick a revolver because I've got less moving parts. I've got, you know, there's more of a chance. You've got the ability on uh, for, for, for uh, hammer follow. You've got the ability for hammer follow and weird issues like that to happen with a semi-auto. Um, and hammer follow is where the hammer, the slide comes back, the hammer disengages and basically follows the slide forward and smacks the 
the firing pin and, and thus the primer, right? And so it had, doesn't have quite the force. And so do you end up with an issue where it's rim fire, it requires a little more, and, you know, you didn't – it's just all these variables with that. So for me, a revolver that's got that hammer that really has no obstruction, whether it's, whether it's um, uh, shielded or not, right whether it's a, a bobbed hammer or it's an internal hammer or it's a whatever you want to call it right um it, it's got no obstructions and it can fall freely and smack that i think is a, a little more reliable option with a revolver so um you know i don't mind it but i would say uh worm fire for self-defense but i would say you know a revolver to me is a better option than semi-auto and then then we eliminate we obviously we got potential mag issues and, and other things with semi-auto but yeah revolver for me for sure going down to back to so it was smeggy self-defense one then we can go back to, to another one from smeggy and we're going to just do these last two so we don't go too far over 90 minutes or this may be a setup question but how many types of 22 caliber are there um, you know, how do you guys want to try to answer that one it was the first ammo. Literally, it was this 22 short right here. It was the first ammo they ever made. I mean, not that particular one, but you know what I mean. It was the first cartridge. So yeah, 22, all the cartridge. Uh, 22's been around for a long time, and I won't even attempt to go into all of the 22 ammo because I don't know it. <clears throat> yeah, same thing goes for me. Um, there is a least a dozen that i know about and i can't begin to name them all but i mean i've got a little bag with at least a dozen in it <laughs> kind of like g webs you know uh and we're talking about not different variants right we're not talking about um yeah, like federal and winchester and hornady yeah, we're talking no. 22 magnum 22b 22 rocket 22 yeah. this that, and the other yeah thing. yeah right um yeah totally different cartridge design more or less rather than you know projectile based or different chambering so to speak um so yeah i know there's at least a dozen in that in that bag so there's a lot and then, then there's a neat part where you get into in every oh if i'm robot but each one of them has like a shot shell has like a um a tracer maybe has uh the supersonics Oh, yeah. I'm not breaking up. Here's that one, right? Where the giant projectile in like a long case instead of a long rifle case. Like, think about that. That's how much yeah. powder can there possibly be in this? And it's pushing all that lead through rifling. It's like, I don't know what the hell they were thinking. That's a crazy thing considering, well, you know, there's the standard one next. So Maggie, it's totally different. Yeah. When you, when you talk about that, right? When you talk about the difference in, projectile type or weight and things like that i go back to what i talked about before with testing that g44 and i went through 42 or 46 i don't even remember 40 something different types right and that was that may have been three different types from agula three different types from federal you know they were all 22 long rifle but um you know types and so that was 42 and that wasn't even not even close to what's out there there's no there's you know, if you talk about all the different ammo manufacturers, and we're talking current production because we talked earlier about the collectability of the old Colt 22 long rifle. Um, so we're talking current production. Um, there's dozens of flavors, let's say, out there. Dozens and dozens. Um, but if you're talking about types, there's I would say there's at least 
Uh, I know there's at least a dozen different types. Some of them are really weird. Uh, they were a, like the case, the case was the primer. A couple of these I got. So imagine taking a, imagine taking a shotgun primer, right? And Tony, you may have seen some of these. It's almost like a shotgun primer with a pellet on top of it. And okay. it's, and it's 22, right? But that's kind of like what it looks like. I mean, dimension-wise, it wouldn't be the same. If you glued a pellet to a shotgun primer, it wouldn't be the same. But that's sort of what it looks like. It's, it's weird looking, and I don't remember what they called that. So that's a totally different cartridge. So um, he didn't say. He just said 22 calibers Maggie did out there. So, um, yeah, so. I'm, I'm guessing by that he means the different, you know, iterations and what was tried and you know, obviously short came along and then long and then long rifle. And those are kind of, that's a progression of the king, which is nowadays mm -hmm. is long rifle. But there was a lot of stuff in between. And since then. Yep. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you think about it, dude, those gallery guns, that was shot on like crowded fairs and <laughs> piers and everything. But and guns are the problem, Tony. But guns are the problem. You know <laughs> Yeah, guns are the problem. Yeah, your great granddad what gave somebody a dime and tried to win a teddy bear or something with it, shooting twenty twos at the fair. I don't know that it was that much. It may not have even been a dime, but yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I think you're right. It probably was even less, but yeah. But yeah, the guns are the problem. <laughs> That's good lord, can you imagine how much how much twenty two you could buy for a dime back then? There's no telling how much probably bought the rifle for the dime. Nah, and well, yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. I bet you, I bet you, for just from doing some of my homework, and we're talking like the early 1900s because I'm really in and got a lot of firearms from that era. Um, there was a few dollars usually on mm -hmm. a lot of them, they were four or five bucks or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you could buy a World War One surplus for 20, 30, 40 bucks, right? Yeah, yeah, but uh. Hey man, I still think regardless of that, we're in the golden age of firearms. Uh, regardless of the legislation they're trying to pass, we oh, have yeah. better, better and more uh, a variety of firearms available to us now than any time in this country's well, history. And we've got we've got the ability. Look at some of these uh, CNC lathes and CNC mills mm -hmm. for like hobbyist stuff right and i mean yep. they're they're out of the price range of a lot of of regular people i get it because i mean you're looking at you know you can even buy a really nice industrial older industrial grade mill or lathe for you know a few grand easily um but then you got to learn to use it and you know you got to have three-phase power a lot of times and there's a lot of caveats but you know even the hobbyist the newer hobbyist smaller models that you're seeing you know for a few thousand bucks but you know, you think about three um, D printing. I mean, three D printing obviously has come a long way, but we've come a long way in the actual machining capabilities of things too. Um, it's it's insane, and and you know, with a with a with a three D printer, yes, you can make and do a lot of things, um, but. We still have some limitations, at least cost-wise. You know, I know there's 3D printing with metals and alloys and different things, but you know, right now with a, you know, I would I would say to a five to eight thousand dollar investment, and 
uh, maybe a couple of hundred bucks into some education. And I say that because I can't remember the college, but there is a college because my dad did it. Um, and he spent like a couple hundred bucks. He's got a lathe and, and meal that I use pretty regularly. Um, and I can't remember the college now. If anybody interested, I'll try to try to find it out. So shoot me an email or something. But I think it was like a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks. And they sent him, um, back then it was DVDs. You might can even access it online now. Um, that was like, you just go through these and it basically teaches you how to use a, a meal and a lathe, right? Teaches you all the basics from there. It's just practice. Um, and on a meal and a lathe, dude, you can make, literally you can make anything you want to make on a meal and a lathe, period. Mm -hmm. And you can make it where it will hold up. You can make a legit firearm, not a one shot liberator 22 handgun. I mean, you can make a legit 30 odd six on a lathe in a meal if you wanted to uh and if Definitely. you took the time <clears throat> yeah so again we're we're at a place now uh technology uh opportunity it's just all lined up for us all we have to yeah. do is fight to make sure we can keep it right yep true and i guess g's having issues unfortunately so we'll hold down the uh, fort till he gets back if there's i can't put questions on the screen but if anybody has more questions we're talking about 22 but we can this is answer gun questions so we could answer some other stuff as well um i think it's funny out there so he's talking about he had an uncle they used a 22 long rifle for a fuse back in uh his 69 ford pickup <laughs> that's nice. interesting that's interesting that's uh Something that my grandfather, I'm sure, would do if the uh, if he had to. I've actually heard of that guys doing that. Definitely <clears throat> hilarious, old school. Yep. Have you guys been hitting the questions in there? Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't see any questions. I don't know where you stopped at, and so I was looking to see. But yep, no, I don't think I I the this I one was we, more of a statement. I think twenty two subsonic. Sniper subsonic starts to tumble uh -huh. from a handgun. You know, that gets into more of that. It's all about the math. And 22 gives us, well, let me put it this way, since that's kind of a, not really just more of a statement. Let me throw it into this. The 22, is it or am I wrong? The most, or at least at the top of the variabilities of like what you can do with the round, or is it just that it's been around so long, people have done a lot of stuff with it. But, you know, there's some rounds that, you know, just don't have a lot of scope. But 22, it seems like it goes to almost every variable to yeah. some extreme. And yeah, I think, right. agree. I think the reason, yeah, is, is the age. I mean, we're talking 22 long rifle now, but like you said before, it started out as 22s, uh, 22 short, 22 long, and 22 long rifle, and 22 back. And we have, what, 140 years of these cartridges being out there about? <clears throat> So a lot of things have happened to it and done to it, experimented with it, and came from it. I mean, because more than all of that, more than more than that, more like 150 or 60, I think. Okay, because I was saying long was long rifle has been around since I think the late 1880s, and and uh, <clears throat> 22 long was I think early 1880s. Okay, and and short was before that. What gee in the 1860s. 1850, it was invented. It was the first cartridge. Yeah. Okay. Short. It all came from okay. <clears throat> I, I, I got the year wrong yeah. because I guess I went with when 22 long and 22 long rifle came out. So 1850, yeah. thanks, man. 
Uh, yeah. So basically, the twenty-two short is just a percussion cap with a piece of shot in it. And and Smith and Wesson was like, oh yeah, let's perfect that a little bit. Borrow the board through cylinder from a guy named Hunt. And then Colt had already made a revolver, but with black powder, right? So the revolver was there. They got the or the Colt, whatever the, the Colt patent expire, I guess. So they could make a revolver. They changed it by putting a board through cylinder, created this 22 short. That was the Smith & Wesson Model 1. And that's the beginning of all revolvers that at least use bullets, right? Everything else was black powder before that. All right. Um, so just a little shout out to Smith & Wesson. That was two dudes. What Dan Wesson decided to bow out pretty quick. And then it was just Smith running around for a while. Then eventually he sold the company. And since then, I mean, it started out being cool. But since then... It's just been a corporation and they've been, they do what corporations do make money and do what they want to do basically. So right. fondness yeah. for the brands and stuff, that marketing, you know, it's the same kind of other layer of the industry and the community and our culture that we have to both be aware of and be protected from because that brand loyalty and brand and marketing Ruger, I can kind of get it because there was a Ruger dude for a while and whether or not you love him or hate him, you know, like that was at least a family line, but like, savage he got out of that a long time ago they just kept the name because yeah. uh, it was cool i guess and uh smith and wesson gone a long time ago colt died colt. before you even saw any of his stuff really well um, savage savage didn't savage come up with the 22 long rifle no not that i'm aware of from my research savage was all about making landmines and torpedoes and then he wanted to make a, a rifle to replace whatever the rifle at the time was he made a savage 99 yeah. rifle of uh, sort of a what is that called? A what kind of magazine? Uh, um, the, the, the round magazine, like a like a ten twenty two. Rotary, thank you. He had a rotary magazine. He invented that, I think. But then he left. He got out of guns and took off. Everything Savage from that point on was just the company. So Savage may have. You're right. I have no idea. But the guy himself, he left guns and started racing cars, which were brand new, and invented the radial tire. So he just kept moving. <laughs> wow. He was an inventor. Like he didn't slow down. Um, and Colt, Colt went away with Colt's wife. Actually, when he passed away, uh, his son also died, and his wife took over. And then uh, she got rid of the company and sold it, and it became a corporation after her. That would be naturally an interesting thing to talk about marketing sometime. Just plain old marketing of guns, you know, guns questions and stuff, but a marketing thing and just kind of yeah. what we do with AR-15s, what we're doing here, just do it on marketing. Right. I, okay, just, so I remember I remember Savage being somehow tied to 22 Oh, you rifle. might be right. I mean, somebody did invent the 22 long rifle. And it may not have been invented, but somehow they were tied to it. I know some somehow, some way, but who knows? Oh, I put in long rifle and it gives me a Kentucky long rifle. Maybe put in a <laughs> 22 long <Four> rifle. <laughs> uh, DJ just put in here that he's checking in from Thunder on the Prairie. This was a while back, uh, which is an event going on just south of Lincoln, Nebraska. A bunch of uh, people in the community got together and invited a bunch of folks out to Nebraska to have a get together. He's there. I guess he uh, was hanging out, doing his thing, shot. Where did it go? He shot Gizzards's. Where did the comments go? Did they get removed? They can't be. Yeah, he. Yeah, I think he removed a bunch of stuff. You can see them on the StreamYard side, I think, still. Oh, see what happens? I got kicked out, so they don't show up on my StreamYard. So uh, that's interesting. If you refresh your StreamYard, you lose all that stuff. So he had said something that he shot the life card, which is that little folding 22, mm -hmm. and won some kind of 450 upper for an AR. So that's kind of cool. Nice, nice. 
<laughs> One of the most expensive things you can have happen to you when an upper for an AR. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, here's a bill. Wait, what? Did I win? Yeah, you want a bill. You got to buy the rest of it and the ammo. Yeah. And ammo and optic and yeah. Uh, is there any more of these? The 22 can't legally be used for hunting. Just one a question. Centerfire ones can, but rimfire in America is that's the only avenue. 22 can't and survival. What works works. Oh, that's a good point. I guess now that I'm thinking about it. So 22 or most rimfires are not okay for hunting unless you're talking rabbits or something smaller than that, I suppose. But uh, there might be some exceptions for certain things, but that's well, a point, I guess. I think I think you get into is it optimal? Because even if you're talking rabbit or squirrel, I don't know that that 22 is optimal. I know a lot of people that that for rabbit and squirrel go 410 or something, right? So, mm -hmm. You know, even well, I guess then, it I depends if you're hunting or harvesting. Maybe yeah, even two, then 22 is more of a skill like thing. And if we and got I a can, rabbit, and I can tell you for white-tailed deer, um, you know, there's been many, many a poacher, which this speaks to the legality, sure. But I mean that that so can it do it? Yes, but. Uh, uh, Fuzzy out there was speaking, of course, to the legalities of it, which I, I agree with. He's spot on with that. Uh, but could he? Could it do it? Yeah, totally. So, you well, know, that's it, the thing. We get into these muddled things to where is it optimal, and then is it legal? So that's a, just they make it illegal because most people don't got the skills, I guess. But right. I definitely know of tons of stories, at least, of capable people that used to, especially people that were just going out to get deer to eat. Or whatever, yeah. then they yeah. would just take a twenty-two out and come home I, with a deer because they would just sit there until they could stand next to it effectively and mm -hmm. do what they need to do to I, get that deer. I can't tell you the number of people that literally shoot pigs in the face with twenty-twos and it works. So and and you know people yep. use all kinds of four fifty-eight SOCOMs and four fifty Bushmasters and five you know fifty Beowulfs and all these big huge things and whatever for for pigs and and it's it's you know it's more choosing those calibers for fun i think then because a lot of oh, the old timers you get a margin have... for room you get a room for error a margin you for do. error you don't you get do. anywhere near. you got to have a skill set to use 22 otherwise well, you're basically mean to something by shooting it with a 22 the, you're not, you're not the the old timers i know that are you they use 22s and i've seen it multiple times over and over with big you know big feral pigs in this area is they'll have dogs that'll bay them up you know so they're shooting at a at a static target for the most part and they're uh -huh. not super far away i mean they're you know 20 25 yards maybe you know yeah, um, and, and if they shoot out of the tree and it whatever and they don't kill it right away it's still falling out of a tree and they can make shoot it again or it dies from lying on the tree so it's yeah, well they've got the dogs that, that can help protect them and keep you know keep it from coming after them or anything too so yeah i mean at the level of effective effectiveness of each round is dissipated yeah. when you got all those factors yeah yeah and they don't, and they don't necessarily do that because they have to do it that way. Because some of them wouldn't mind jumping in there on top of the pig and using a big pig sticker. You know, I know plenty of guys that do that. Their dogs bay them up, and they literally jump in there on top of him and, you know, use their big pig yeah. sticker. The spear. I knew people that did that, and they'd carry Basically. forty-four magnum in case of something didn't go the way they wanted. But yeah, they just like the idea yeah. of like cape man yeah. and a pig or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And, uh, Although, okay, well, it kind of is because it's not like cavemen were using dogs. You know, they were using dogs because they threw them the legs and stuff, right? Wow. Yep. Oh, it, it's a, it's, it's an old, old 
Part of getting the um, uh, just getting that rush, like the people that stick their hand in a catfish hole or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. You know, but uh, <laughs> uh, also don't forget what it was a TV show, Swamp People, when they use uh, 22s on the gators. Uh, yeah, it does less damage, but it takes out this thing that size you boat. But it's about shot placement. Yeah, that's what it's always about, though. Regardless of the caliber, it's about shot placement until you get to 50 BMG. And being intimately familiar with the thing that you're putting that shot on, right? Like knowing, not just being able to hit the shot, but knowing where to put that so that it's effective and you're not just, you know, time right. All right. So a bunch of people chimed in today. I appreciate that. We're trying to get it out of here in a palatable thing. We could sit here all day. This is a fun show, but uh, I try to chop it at an hour and then that gets us out of here in two hours. So uh, my internet didn't help. I uh, got new internet, so this should be a thing of the past it's overnighting to me so i imagine it'll be here monday and uh i should have a faster better internet and not getting these chopping out um if we missed a question or two then please throw it over to askgunquestions.com uh, it's a place that we've had over as a service for years that's just easy to remember askgunquestions.com they you, they just go to this database oh i'm not screen sharing right now normally we screen share the database it's just a bunch of questions and when we answer them we turn them green and uh come back every Saturday to address some more questions. Is there anything you guys wanted to bring up that we didn't yet today or anything from your travels or adventures here that we want to mention before we head out? Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you go, Tony. Go. Oh, I'm just going to make the announcement about the way that I'm going on. Uh, go to garcyshoot.com uh, and uh, you can get in on a SHOT Show giveaway. It's 20 bucks to our PayPal and you get entered, and next Sunday we're going to draw a name. And I have a huge sack, well, I have a, a sack of uh, SHOT Show swag that pretty much, I think a lot of it was only given out a shot. So we're doing that to help raise money for us to become a 501c3 and pay for the stuff we're doing right now. So if you want to do that, com, 20 bucks to PayPal, and we draw just write SHOT Show, shot show uh, to let me know that's what it's going to, and you're entered. So we got like, hats, so, hats, patches, books. Um, uh, we got the Shot Show magazine. Uh, in this particular one, we have Grey Ghost Precision. Um, was a trucker hat uh, and black camo. So it's all that kind of stuff. So yep. please get in on it and help fund the work we do. All right. So again, it's going to the diversityshoot.com. Over on the right, there's that PayPal button. Yep. Use that. Use the PayPal button and just just twenty bucks to us, and uh, let us know you want to enter the shot show giveaway. Just write shot. That's good enough. Right on. And then you got pictures on Instagram yet? Yep, got uh, the video up of, on Instagram that came up yesterday, and uh, I guess I can put pictures of it up too, just to give people an idea. I'll keep posting stuff for the next week. And of course, and then, on June June 9th, I have a diversity shoot coming up at Gunfire Range in Woodland Park. That one broke up. You got the next diversity shoot at Gun for Hire in New Jersey. When? Uh, on the 9th, Wednesday the 9th, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Hopefully, I'm not breaking right. up now. You guys hear me? Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. It's kind of grumbly, but I can say I can't tell if it's my internet or not. So I'm throwing the link out to your Instagram uh, 
post, but I didn't see nothing in the uh, thing. Did you show the patches in the video? Yep, showed the patches. The first uh, thing, minute of the video is me telling you what the contest is, and then the last 25 oh, okay. seconds is me going through all the stuff on the table. All right, I probably shut it off at like 13 seconds or 20 seconds or some shit. I was like, oh, he's just talking in this one. So, okay, I'll watch till the end next time. So I just threw the link to the one we're talking about in there and then uh, jump over to Tony's website, diversityshoot.com, and every 20 bucks is a slot. Yep, every 20 bucks is a slot. Right on. So, yeah, we'll be mentioning that, and that's through the ninth. So you got some time to jump in on it or let other people and or let other people know about it so that they can uh, get some money over to Tony to help with these diversity shoots as well. So um, I'll shut up because I was going to say something about the guns for hire and the giant. I don't know. He's been posting some Instagram shots of his free CCW classes over in Colorado and the, the turnout I'm sure has something to do with the response to all the recent hype and the recent stress. Right. And, you know, so he has a massive turnout of new people. Now he's able to be that ambassador for all these people. And it's not like he just sat there one day and said, can you do this when it's necessary? He did it a ton of times when nobody was paying attention and nobody thought it was all that interesting or necessary so that when it is necessary, he can comfortably accommodate it and be ambassador and be useful. And basically, I'm using that as an analogy for everything you've been doing over there. So I'm assuming these things get more popular when everybody's paying attention to guns and their culture. And, yep. again, and thanks, thanks, for, thanks for creating that infrastructure that, so people know it's there. So you've got that alumni to recommend you know, people over to it. And then, uh, again, you can accommodate it especially at a place like Gun for Hire, which is a massive indoor range, um, because you're all familiar with it. And actually, they helped kind of get it all started, right? Or at least facilitated you to start another yep. thing. Yep, they 100% helped facilitate it, and they've supported it from the beginning. And now that they're one of the biggest indoor ranges in America, um, it, it helps. Uh, we had the rush in 2020 of new gun owners. And they are there, and they were able to take advantage of that. And now with this newest push that's coming, the same thing is going to happen as always happens. Uh, gun control goes nuts, and people want to get involved and learn how to be safe with a firearm. So he's doing a lot of business, and it helps out with me now because, of course, he has a Gun for Hire podcast, and he's told people about me for at least the last three months that's coming up on June 9th. So it's it's great. It's synergy. Uh a good luck sometimes when preparation, you know, <laughs> preparation meets opportunity, and this is what's happening right now. No, that's exactly what I said. Right on. So, Clover, you want to talk about NRA or any of the other? You got a ton of stuff scheduled up on the interviews. Uh, did some schedule? You, you interviewed a couple of people this week, I guess. Yeah, I did. I had um, Tony on the other night, and and uh, <clears throat> I'm starting to get some things scheduled out from. In realm, I mean, if you don't know, I mean, that was the trip this last weekend to uh, in realm, and a um, couple of things. I mean, I haven't done any type of a debrief really or anything out of that. Uh, for those that that follow me, you know that when I go, I go to try to make the contacts and kind of set things up for all year long, rather than filming at a at the show. Um, that's really tiring to to try to spend all day filming and, and cornering people and getting audio and lighting and other things where it's anywhere near decent. And then plus you've got so many other people that that's the only reason they go. Um, 
so yeah i mean uh, things will will hopefully be scheduled out moving forward um i would since i didn't do the debrief last wednesday had uh, jenny j 1911 on the podcast and this was her first ever you know industry related show as media as a creator so that gave me a chance to kind of talk about my experience there a little bit and then also have it from her perspective which i thought was kind of neat um so check that out if you if you want at least something coming out of uh out of interim now um i am going to jump over on tony's uh, instagram here in a little bit share uh, his post and i highly encourage everybody else to do so the reason i do that is yesterday one thing that did happen during interim last weekend was the consult carry fashion show which i did attend and during that uh, there was a presentation put on by four of the ladies from the DC project uh, that I filmed. Not the greatest uh, camera work or audio or anything, but it's there. And, and I've heard through some comments it was better than the other sources that were trying to do it. So uh, it ended up kind of happy, uh, at least in that capacity, that I that I did turn the camera on and, and catch that. And I thought that after the fact, I kind of thought that was a, a good, they, they really gave a good representation of what that organization does and everything else. So in the spirit of sharing content, uh, I'll ask you to go over there, check that out, and please share that. I mean, we need to get some eyes and ears and funding and other things for that project, uh, as well as Tony's uh, diversity shoot. Um, and thanks to those that have shared that so far. Um, I know quite a few people, did buck up and, and did share it um maybe that helps and we get some of these people out there like tony like uh the ladies of the dc project and so many others that are you know on the ground putting in a massive amount of work uh for us the uh the support and the funding that they need the ladies from the dc project are amazing i mean we all know them but it's like the dc project is just one aspect of the second amendment advocacy the ladies yeah. that are involved do like the dc project is one thing and almost every lady involved in the dc project has their own two-way organization they right. either run or work with so right. it's like it's like um like a pro bowl of of, yeah. of two-way advocacy it's like yeah all right they're on the team but then they're in the pro bowl too and, yeah. and that's what we got we got the best of the best of female 2a advocates or the best of the best of 2a advocates they just happen to be female also right and they they tend to spread the message a little better than a lot of us can um, um and i say us because you know sometimes i drop the ball on it as well but you know i know that there's a lot of folks out there of the shall not be infringed cold dead hands you know attitude and you know, that's not always the best approach when you're trying to reach people in the middle. You can't treat everybody like they're the hardened anti-gunners. And most of those ladies have, have a really good, really good stories and come at things from a really good angle. Um, and so, you know, I think we, you know, I think we benefit uh, by supporting them or more people can, can hear their stories and, and uh, you know, get them in, in front of more eyes. And also think we benefit maybe from, from learning a little bit of how they approach things. 100%. 100%. Again, I feel they're the best of the best. Uh, They come at it from an area that can't be argued. And uh, they're really well-spoken because I think uh, these ladies have been doing this advocacy and on their own before they came to the DC Project. So they're really well-honed and really good at this. 
So if we take the girl part out of it, because they're cheating, because they got the girl part, but if you take the girl part out, there's never been an organization of activists that I'm aware of on any position, let alone guns, but certainly not in the gun realm, where the goal was to bring an activist from each state to D.C. to talk to representatives in a format where the they mix themselves up between gun-friendly and gun-unfriendly representatives and then meet with those representatives to offer their experience, their story, and their position on the issues, but also to give them their contact information and give themselves as reference and as ears and as people to ask questions to and as mentors and counselor, all those different things, depending on what they can offer. But in real life, they meet with these representatives and often so that they're, they're there longer than some of the representatives hold office, but they're going there and meeting and becoming the ear that the representatives will call on to find out, you know, to thrash something through or whatever that's called. Like, is this to vet something? Is this, a, is this legislation on point? And then they have, you know, they've created these relationships that again, take the girl part out of it. Nobody is doing that. That, that has always been pay a lot of money and we'll send somebody to do all this and they know how to do it question it just send us money and watch it happen oh it didn't happen this time but trust us we're the only ones that can do it send us money we'll send somebody in who does this we know how to play the game these ladies are outside the box changing the game and the fact that they're ladies means that they're also changing the uh, face of gun owners so like you guys said this is uh, an unprecedented project and then the way that they're doing it is it's like just Start. They're all bringing the best of whatever their individual groups offer because they either created it or they're, you know, voices of it. And they come together, not to like the Gun Rights Policy Conference, which is sort of like, let's all look at each other. But instead, they come to the same to, to get together with a goal. Like, how are we going to best use our own time and our own resources? Because we're not rich or independently wealthy or whatever. And, you know, just have to leisure time. How are we going to best use our resources to do these tasks? So unlike gun rights policy, where we're coming together once a year, and unfortunately about, I'd say 80 to 90% of the people are using it as a vacation to F off and not even pay attention to what we're there for. They're just using it as a time to hang out and kind of de-stress, which is fine if it was supposed to be like that. But if we had dozens of them, it would be great to have one like that. But these ladies are getting together with a goal and ambitious, and they're changing things. Like they're the results of their... Uh, energy in their uh, efforts are you can gauge they are measurable so yeah they're definitely worth learning about shouting the word out about and uh, supporting individually and as a group. Uh, there's probably no better organization however what I was going to close it with I'm gonna let you guys keep talking about it but I just want to say I like this that we're giving them a shout out what if every week now we just add to this we're just going to give our three opinions on some organization because we all know all of them pretty much and each week we'll just randomly pick one or let the audience pick and we'll riff on one of the non on the gun owners rights groups like this I think it's a, it's, it's a great idea to let people know about them um, something that they did last year they started last year um, was not only do they, it's the D.C. project where one representative each state, each state goes down to D.C., but uh, Diana heaped this responsibility onto the state representatives that they put together a crew of people from different districts or counties to go to their state capital and do the same thing. So yeah, she, she took it from na national to local level. 
uh, to get women to do the exact same thing in the state level as they do nationally, because uh, as she said, it's less expensive for someone to travel within their state than it is to travel to DC. So you should be able to get more people involved, more ladies involved, and I hope it does. I know Teresa does a great job in Jersey, and uh, but you have to get people involved. People have to know about it. So I think it's a good thing that we can talk about something every week, a uh, different organization, because locally, it is all politics are local. I mean, that's a great place to start. We're going to pause here in case anybody wants to say anything. Otherwise, I guess uh, we'll just not be threatening to end it. We'll just end it here. So unless I'm missing anything, you guys wanted to shout something out, I did kind of. I'm good. All right. Thanks, everybody, for showing up again. We will uh, be back on Saturday. Uh, Clover's back next. Scheduled interview. Tony's back Monday podcast. Um. <laughs> uh, hopefully, you can record my podcast uh, tonight. Uh, Monday, I'm going to be on uh, what is it, New England Firearms. Uh, we just set something up, so that's going to be 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on his uh, podcast. What is Shooting it, Gallery Matt? New England? Shooting, Shooting Gallery, Gallery New England. That's it. Shooting okay, Gallery cool. New England. Sorry. I'm going to be on that Monday. I'm going to be on Firearms Radio Network Tuesday at 9 p.m. Uh, doing that show. And uh, that's what's going Oh, and I just finished recording uh, Self Defense Gun Stories with Rob Morse. Uh, the same day I was on with Clover. What was that, Thursday, Clover? Wednesday? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's going to be dropping tomorrow, uh, the next episode. This is seven years of us talking about self-defense gun stories with civilians using firearms uh, to save themselves and their loved ones. Wow, you've been doing that podcast with those guys for – well, is it just Rob or is it a bunch of people? It's a bunch of people. Every week we have someone new, but we pretty much have a stable of six or seven defensive firearms instructors. Yeah, seven years of doing it. Well, right on. So thanks, everybody, for joining in. Check out that stuff, and we'll be back to pick you up later. AskGunQuestions.com is a website that we built back in 2007. And since then, for the last 15 years, people have been able to ask questions of simple to advanced nature, and we attempt to answer them in different ways over the years. Join us now as we start a new series to answer gun questions.